Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Ninth State Sports Show Football Edition. My name is Joe Marcellina. I'm happy to be here for another week talking some NHIAA high school football with you. Once again alongside me is uh, Mike Lockman, longtime football coach in the state of New Hampshire, uh, most recently uh, over at Sauhegan. Coach, thanks again for uh, joining me. Happy to be here. Okay. Uh, before we get started, I want to remind everyone we'll be recording the show this season on Tuesdays at 6 at Riverside Barbecue in Nashua. You can be a part of the show by emailing us at nhhighschoolsports at gmail.com, or you can come on down and listen to us live. The show will be available every Wednesday morning at nh-highschoolsports.com and also on iTunes. All right, well, let's uh, jump into what was uh, week five already in the uh, high school football season. Um, yeah. You know, I, I feel like the last couple weeks, it, there's been some good Friday night games, but Saturday has really been... Uh, where it's been at with uh, some of these games, and of course in Division One at least, the two big ones, uh, Winnicott Golf Sound and, and, and Bedford Exeter, yeah, uh, did not disappoint. No, and and exactly as we planned it, mid-season, you're starting to see things solidify. As we talked about last week, we said you know this is going to be a big week for a lot of programs, and and certainly those two games really started to shore up. I think where you're starting to think about contenders and then some surprise outside looking in situations right. as well. Yeah. I mean, you kind of can look at both sides of division one and say, uh, maybe this is good or maybe this is bad, but with four weeks left, you kind of look at who is potentially the number one seed. I know Salem still has to play Londonderry, uh, the, you know, to finish off the regular season. Um, and then on the other side, Winnicott has Manchester central in there. Uh, Someone else I'm forgetting, too. Um, uh, oh, they also have to play Portsmouth, I believe. Um, yeah, I don't believe that they play Portsmouth. So, yet. you know, a couple of, couple of games that could be challenging for both sides, but realistically, based on what we've seen to this point, I don't think... I, I would be surprised if Salem and Winnicott weren't the top two seeds on each side, you know, once this is all said and done. Yeah, I can't see it any other way, really. Um, I mean, what Winnic we, we've talked a lot about Winnicott the last few weeks, and with good reason, because... Hard to uh, hard to remember in recent history, a string of three games like what Winnicott right, yeah, put together yeah. um, for a program, especially a program that you knew was going to be good, but there wasn't a ton of hype around them no, at the beginning of the year. I don't so. think so there was no. And you look at how they did it too. You know, they gave up eight points to Bedford, seven points to Exeter, six points to Goffstown in what were some not good conditions uh, on Saturday. We'll right. say out at Hampton, um, but still just a, a tremendous defensive effort. Um, you know, saying they only gave up one first down in the second half uh, yeah. to Goffstown, which is just, uh, you know, unbelievable. Right. Um, and they overcame a five, number of turnovers. Five turnovers in right. that game, Right, so the yeah. defense was, had I to mean, buckle I mean, I don't up. know. I, I, you know, <laughs> records are hard to find uh, in this state when it comes to high school sports. Yeah. Um, but I can't imagine there have been many teams that have been a minus five uh, in the turnovers and still managed to win a game. I I. I I personally can't think of anything, and, and I can't imagine how the Winnicott defense was able to, to manage that as well as they did. I mean, we've, we know that they're good, but in or, you know, to go back out on the field those five extra times and buckle it up and get work done against a really good, well-coached offense, I'll tell you, I, I know this is the age of offense these days, <laughs> but the, the, these top teams are all really good defensive teams, right. and it's awesome. Yeah, I'll... Age of offense, but Saturday, that game Saturday was, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you'd have had a hard time believing that, watching that game. And there were some, yeah, again, like 
bad conditions. It was yeah. wet, muddy field, um, colder than it's been, you know, all season um, yeah. in the 50s, you know, which is, what, a 40-degree difference from, I think, the week before. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, you know, just tough con- con- um, tough to play in, but, you know, give a lot of credit to Winnicott because of the way that they um, they took away what Goffstown does best, and then when they tried to – you know, sit back and throw the ball. They had no time, absolutely no time to, to complete passes. Um, it, it was just, it, it was probably clinical. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked too about that, that they have, t- they have done an excellent job against Bedford, which is a, a, a very balanced, uh, I would say probably pass heavy type of spread offense, but, but they can run the ball. Took away what Bedford did best pretty much I mean, they were good at taking everything away against Bedford. They played lights out against Bedford. Then they go up against a, a power-running uh, offense like what Exeter runs, do a great job there in a totally different sort of scenario in terms of the reads, right. the keys, uh, the alignments, everything that you're looking at, and then come right back to a more run-oriented but well-balanced Goffstown offense, take care of work there too i mean that's those are three great opponents three varied styles bang 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 they manage them all like pros yeah yeah uh and you know and then the, in the other game exeter wins uh beats bedford on that last second field goal yeah. um which you know that game started out and i i thought we were gonna you know we were in for some kind of a slow moving shootout where exeter goes 13 plays on its first two drives and scores on each of them uh bedford answered the first one and then needed a, a, a turnover by Exeter to um, get the second one. So it's a 14-14 game, um, you know, I, I think early in the second quarter. And, and then both defenses kind of shored up after that. Um, you know, Exeter was up 21-14 at halftime. Um, you know, Bedford had opportunities to score, and it was just Exeter's defense just yeah, came up with Stepped up at the plays. right time. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, Bill Ball said afterwards, Ben, but, ben, but don't break. You know, uh, very – um, stout defensively, and then they managed to put a drive together right when they needed to. Right, you know, it was um, funny at the end of that end of that drive. You know, they're facing a fourth and six or fourth and goal at the six. Uh, br- they bring out the field goal team, get all set up, ready to go, and then right as they're about to snap it, you know, I heard a whistle. Of course, the ball comes out. They snap and kick it. I'm like, oh, okay, someone took a timeout. Yeah. Um, no, Bedford had been called for encroachment. Uh. Uh, so they moved the ball three yards closer. It's now kicking it from the three. And I asked Coach Ball, you know, any th- any thought there of, you know, maybe going for it? And I, before the question even left my mouth, no. 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 No, <laughs> <laughs> no we were not. <laughs> uh, which makes, I mean, it's a 21-all game. Yeah. Why take the chance of going to overtime um, at that point? But, yeah. you know, the the penalty, though, was kind of a a bit of a theme for Bedford, which I was, you know, surprised by. They had... You know, a lot of holding calls. Um, you know, there was a, a block below the waist that ended up giving Exeter on a punt that yep. gave Exeter a first down and the ball back. Um, just things you're not used to seeing from them. And then you add in some injuries. You know, they lose Connor Robert uh, at yeah, halftime. That's brutal. To, I'm still not – I don't I haven't seen any updates or anything, but they thought it was a collarbone injury. No idea how severe that is. Yeah. Uh, they lost uh, Dimitri Anagnos to a leg injury. Uh, they're down a running back at that point. And then uh, probably their their heart and soul, their defense, Spencer Adams, left at, at one point in the first half. Didn't really notice if he came back in or not. But, yeah. you know, that – I mean, I, of course, if there's teams that can withstand that, 
Bedford's one of them, but still, those are kids that. Yeah, I was going to say you you won't find a lot of people that will have sympathy there just because of the you know the Bedford's numbers and and um, size of their program has been pretty well documented over the last five or six years. But still, to make up for regardless of your depth, right? To make up for somebody who's been in there and played for four games and uh, or or more, right? These two year starters like like Connor, for example. I mean, you can't just make that up, even though you might have great depth or better depth than. 70 80 percent of the other teams in the state in their case probably 90 um it's still a hard transition to make mid-game and so that's that's certainly a factor you, d- you never want it to be but it's certainly a factor um i mean it's it's and, m- and more than just on the field it's it can be an emotional thing too mm-hmm. you know you see your your starting quarterback your your guy who is the leader out there you know off the field without his pads on you know and his arms in a sling yeah and you wonder first you're wondering what he's thinking and then everyone else is you know looking at him yeah what, what's going what on? happens to the emotional energy and of the team yeah Been there yeah. myself as a coach right your key guy gets a key injury and the game shifts very quickly i mean credit bedford they were in it right right yeah. and yeah. and it took a last minute field goal which by the way somebody's gonna have to look up how many game-winning field goals has Exeter had in the last four or five oh, years? Oh, it feels like a ton. I mean, compared yeah, to yeah, the rest of the yeah. teams in the state, they've got to have it by a, like a, 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 a considerable and margin, I, I would like, say. <laughs> I feel like usually it's a, it's a soccer kid who they've yeah. you know, plucked out to play, um, you know, whenever they need a kicker. But, um, you know, this um, Sam Wolf was wearing number 71, so I'm assuming, you know, usually, usually your soccer kid's got a number in the single digits or the teams. Yeah. Uh, and this kid looks more like a lineman, yeah. Um, but just uh, had, you know, really good with the kicks, the extra points. Uh, his kickoffs were great. Um, but you're right; they always it always seems like it, it's a close game, and then it comes right down to them being able to can to they put kick one, one through. through. Yeah. yeah. And how often does is that the case in high school? Right. Usually, you're not relying on your field goal team; it's it's some other stuff. So, so you know, credit to Bedford for keeping it tight given the adversity they faced. But um, you know, I'm sure Exeter. You know, we talked a little bit last week. They must have felt like it was sort of a back-to-the-wall type of situation that they were in, and oh, yeah, they always yeah. rise to that occasion, yeah. it seems, um, given the opportunity. I mean, if you give them an inch, it's like giving them a mile. They're going to take it. They're going to take advantage of those those things, and they're going to make it work. You know, on the uh, the other side of Division One, kind of an easy week, it looks, at least on paper, for a lot of the, the at least the four teams that are currently in playoff positions, you know, Londonderry, uh, Nashua South, Pinkerton, and Salem, all with with big wins. Salem, their forty-two nothing win came without uh, Josh Savanda again. So hopefully that's not something that's too long term. Yeah. That they're able to get him back on the field soon. Uh, but really, I think the g- the best game on that side going into into the weekend, we thought was the Nashua North Merrimack game, and yeah. that one um, turnovers uh, played a huge factor in that. Is you know, Mer- North scores on the opening drive. Merrimack turns the ball over. North scores. To and and y- what it was was two really fluky kind of turnovers. Yeah. One where you know a kid's being tackled and gets almost tackled by the ball, and it's like as they rolled over, the ball came out and the North kid ended up with it. Yeah. And then the other one, an, an interception by Kevin Maldonado for North, who, you know, he's a lineman and just happened to know, you know good to hit for him to be aware of what's going on he, he said he uh knew they were trying to run a screen yeah, so he just kind of dropped back yeah. and he stuck one hand out there and just scooped it in and i i thought at first the kid had a step on everybody uh, he's a big guy but looks but like he can move yeah um thought he might have had a chance at returning he thought he did too um 
too much speed on that Merrimack <laughs> yeah, offense. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I, I so I was at that game too, and I thought that I thought that w- I can't remember the sequence of events, but I thought there was a there was a play similar to the one you were describing earlier about with the with the special teams penalty. Uh, Merrimack had held North at, at sort of a point where it looked like momentum may be shifting back to Merrimack's favor, or at least they had a chance of getting the momentum shifted. They stopped North down on the goal line. They're going to force North to try for a field goal attempt. Yeah. Okay. I know. I know. And yeah. <laughs> the, the left defensive it end on the Merrimack block team came flying across the line. Bang! First down. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a deflate! Yeah. What a deflating penalty that must have been for Merrimack to have to contend with. But that, to me, that was kind of the the place where North just drew a line and said it's it's not going to be a close it's game yeah, anymore. Yeah, um, yeah. It was kind of that that drive did feel like it was one of those ones. I think North was up maybe two scores at that point, and, and Merrimack had just put a really good drive together. Good, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it felt kind of like. If we score here, this game's probably over. If it's a field goal, there's still a chance. Yeah. Um, spe- and speaking of kickers, um, uh, Campo, the North kicker, who looks like he's a, he's another one that that, that you know you could put him anywhere on the field. Maybe yeah. And, and expect him to, to make it. Um, you know. And the reason I wanted to bring those two teams up is, I mean, because you look look at that game, and from what I, you know what we've talked about between us and with other coaches. Those are two teams that everyone kind of looks at and says, yeah, these are pretty good football teams. Uh, and as of right now, they're both on the outside looking in at the playoffs, and that's probably, I mean, unless they pull off a couple upsets down the stretch here, you know, they lose some of the tiebreakers. North, you know, already has lost it to South. Yep. Loses it to Londonderry, Merrimack to South, North. Um, they still have to play the entire South Conference, which is an yeah. odd, odd thing here to have to do in the – yeah. The last four There's weeks. some good opponents that are still lined up. Right, right. Um, you know, so you were talking about solidifying the, the playoff picture, and I mean, I think it's it maybe already has a little bit in, the, yeah. in that side of the bracket. Yeah, I think that was a big game for both of those programs. We talked about that a little bit last week. There were the obvious games, the ones we've already addressed, but the, the North Merrimack one was pretty huge for those programs, and um, you know, North North has now put themselves in a in uh, you know obviously a better position than Merrimack um, to be to be a contender for a spot, I guess. But yeah. but like you said, still both kind of looking for a lot of other things to happen now. Yeah, and like we said, North North I think of the two might have a better chance just yeah. because of who you know who they've already played and who they've got left. And of course, this week they've got a huge game uh, at home against Pinkerton yeah. um, that would have to they. They're going to have to either beat Pinkerton or Salem down the stretch here, you would think, to have a shot at getting into the postseason. Um, same with Merrimack. And, and it, that's, yep, it's Merrimack a very, still has very those tall guys task. Too. Uh, and then on Saturday... Oh, no, sorry, I was going to say, North... The one thing that, that, that you would say about North, though, is that they were very physical against Merrimack yeah. on oh, yeah. both sides of the ball. Their, their front, uh, their defensive front and their offensive line were really physical. I wasn't expecting that. I'd seen North a little bit this season, um, whether it was whether it was the Jamboree or, or some other opportunities where I've seen them a little bit. And uh, but but they looked physical. They came to play, and and the word was there were some young guys that were subbing in yeah, on that old yeah, line. Yeah, I guess they have a couple had a couple freshmen, freshmen. in there, which yeah. is just remarkable. So if they can play with that same physicality, and I know I know Pinkerton is not the same team, not the same makeup as Merrimack, but if they bring that same attitude into a Pinkerton game. You know, it could be a good game. Anything yeah, could happen yeah. there. Of course, the other big game this weekend uh, happening Saturday afternoon out uh, at, in Goffstown, Bedford-Goffstown. It's a, that's a 3 o'clock game, yep. uh, which, you know, 
was originally scheduled for a 1.30 kickoff, and they moved it to 3 and ruined my whole Saturday. I had yeah. plans to go to a couple games on Saturday, and then uh, it's completely inconsiderate of what yes. I'm trying to do here. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure they appreciate um, that. But, you know, that's, that's going to be... by design. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, I know who to lodge complaints yes. with. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it, that one really takes on an interesting kind of twist, not just because right now Goff sounds in the lead in that, you know, North Conference. Yep. Um, Bedford on the outside looking in. Who's going to, you know, Thomas Morgan came in and played quarterback for them against Exeter. He started the week before uh, against Spalding. You know, he looks like he's certainly capable of playing the position, but he's not Connor Robert. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a hard thing to maybe ask him to be. Yes. You know, so how does that, and, and going against maybe the second best defense in the division, not exactly an easy task for him. No. Um, you know that that's a that's a great game because it, it's a relatively new rivalry, right? Yeah, I mean, it certainly yep. doesn't. Yeah, it's, it's not like Winnicott at Exeter, you know, even Milford Sauhegan in Division Two, but but they get rocking for that game. Yeah, they. Um, you've seen some results come yeah. out of that game too that maybe weren't expected. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the significance of it makes it even more interesting at this point. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, Gostown coming off the loss, Bedford in almost a back-to-the-wall situation uh, at this point, which is kind of – it's hard to say that at this point, but that's, that's the way what we're saying is. at yeah, this point. Yeah, yeah. yeah they still have um, – they finished the season with Central, which would be a big – you know, almost a must-win for them. Yeah. Um, still have Concord, still have Dover on the schedule. So, yeah, there's – you know, not that you would ex- have expected some of those teams to trip them up at any point this season, but now – yeah kind of opens the door for who knows what especially Uh, to your point depending on their health uh you know we also uh talked a little bit last week about division two who was going to kind of take the step next step up and um in some close or some uh tough matchups there of course the sowegan milford one was probably the one at the front of that list because you know two teams that were you know, the losers in danger of not making the playoffs. And, of course, Sauhegan won that 2012. So that, that puts Milford at 2-3 and three with a game against St. Thomas this week at home. Uh, not looking at like a, a, a good uh, – not the chances of, of Milford making it aren't looking good at this point. No. Uh, that we talked last week. That was – I mean, forget about the, the fun rivalry between those two schools and the fact that it was the, the Hope for Gus game at Sauhegan, which always draws a big crowd and a lot of interest – Huge game for both of those programs. Um, you know, congrats and hats off to Sauhegan um, for getting the win because it, it really was that. It was Sauhegan was probably in, in a little bit of a better position than Milford given the strength of remaining schedules for both teams, right. given what yeah. I had seen. Because I think Sauhegan's about to go into a stretch that's of pretty three light. games yeah. that's th- where yeah. they're going against opponents that, that don't have great records. But Milford still has to face St. Thomas, who's stinging from uh, the other big game in Again, Division yeah, Two this weekend. Lost to Wyndham, and, yeah, and yeah. and uh, they still have to face Plymouth as well, right? Um, so th- they have a massive at Plymouth too, which is never they've never played well there. No, uh, yeah, and Sauhegan, I believe, has uh, West this week. You know, follows that up with Sanborn, Hillsborough, and then Hollis Brookline. So right. it's kind of it's a much different schedule. Uh, for the Sabers, plus they also have that extra game they still have to go. You know, Milford hasn't had its bye yet, so that right. kind of puts them back a little bit too. One less game to, to kind of play with. Um, the big game, I think, uh, or at least one of big, the big games this weekend, uh, Friday night, is um, Hollis Brookline at Conval. Yeah, 
uh, which, you know, we're talking about new rivalries with Bedford and Goffstown. This one, in a weird way, has become a bit of a rivalry. And I say in a weird way because sometimes when these schools were meeting, it was the only win of the season or one of two or three wins of the season, um, in, you know, wh whoever wins this game. Yeah. Yeah, there's some history there. I mean, going back to um, when Coach Robinson was the coach there and I, I was on the staff, we would open with Conval, and, and that's, that game sort of set the tone for the season. A lot of times they'd be favored. We were sort of the new up-and-coming program, and either we'd, we'd get beaten by them or we, we, we upset them a couple times and, and propelled us to a better season than some people would predict us. But now what you've got is this scenario where I think what you said is really true, that it, it seems like the favored team is the one that typically doesn't win You're right. these matchups. Right, yeah. So, um, well, you look at one. I think there was a stretch where of like three years or so where Conval won something like five games, and three of those games were against against Hollis, Hollis right? Yeah. You know, which yeah. even in years where Hollis was, was good, was, was making a good the team, playoffs. Right. Yeah. So, you know that that had to that has to that Hollis is aware of that. You would imagine, and so that fuels the fire. And, a and I'm bit. sure what happened last year with Conval winning last year. And then Hollis was the team that got into the playoffs. Right. That's um, going to fuel Conval's yeah, fire yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And Conval, as we've talked about, off to a great start. Um, two similar styles in terms of the teams. Um, if it was week one, I might have given the quarterback edge to, uh, um, to um, Delaney. Mm -hmm. But it would have been really close. Spezzaferi is a veteran, three years. But um, Sander Wimmer been performing pretty well as yeah. the guy who's filled yeah. in so yeah. that's going to be a fun game that might be the one that i go to on friday night yeah um it's in, my, it's in my it's in my it's close to my neighborhood area. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah um and who you know who knows no one said one way or the other whether delaney's done for the season that's so, right uh the door i think is open for anything um and you got to think that either one they put in there they got to feel comfortable with at this point yeah um yeah um, and like we were mentioned, you know, Wyndham St. Thomas was last Saturday. Wyndham yeah. coming out with a win there, so now they're the uh, the undefe another undefeated one of one of four undefeated teams yeah. in Division Two. And another and clear solidifying game. We were talking about in Division yeah, One yeah. where you you had this was like a solidifying week. You know, Sauhegan solidified their position fairly well at this point, given the remainder of their schedule. But Wyndham clearly solidified themselves uh, as the as the cream of the crop in that South Conference. Yeah, they are on a, a bye this week and then come back with a home game against Lebanon at Guilford Belmont and then a home game against Conval. Yeah. So, you know, that, aside from the Conval game, looks like a, you know, a manageable schedule for them. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at St. Thomas's schedule, too. They also have Conval. Uh, and, and they have a, the unfortunate, or I don't know, maybe it's a fortunate situation of having the bye the final week of the season. Yeah, uh, for St. Thomas, so that that might help them out a little bit. Yeah, um, you know, and then you know, of course, Conval and Hollis Brookline uh, with four games left each, they've already both had their bye. Um, you know, and their their schedules, uh, you know, aside from playing each other, Conval's got a really tough one with St. Thomas and Wyndham to finish, but you know, Hollis has West and then Pelham before playing Sauhegan to finish out. Yeah, um, Conval might have the toughest schedule remaining besides Milford. Perhaps, yeah, um, that, yeah. That, that's tough. And they end the season 1-2 with the the other two great teams in the league, which are St. Thomas and Wyndham. So, you know, you got to figure Conval is really going to be keyed up for this Hollis-Brookline game because they know that... It's their chance to kind of prove 
you know, that they're they're legit, or at least their first chance. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. You know, only you look on the other side, and we've got two undefeated teams left there too, with Plymouth and Hanover. Um, Plymouth, I think we expected to be there, and not a big surprise if they are at the end of the year. But Hanover, a um, bit of a surprise, and you could say the same thing about them as you might about Conval. Is how you know legit are they? They haven't. None of the teams they play, just by the luck of their schedule, none of the teams that they've played have a winning record. Yeah. Um, you know, they get Kingswood coming up after a bye this week, which is, you know, we're not going to know. So it's really the last two games at Kennett and at John Stark. Right. Before you uh, really yeah, even know. Yeah. Yeah. And Stark's off to a great start, other than the the, the one um, non, non-conference loss to Sauhegan. Um, and and Kennett is are they a one loss team? Two, two, two loss two, team. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so so two quality measuring sticks, I guess, or better way of putting it, to end their season. Um, but still, you could see them kind of pulling off that one as well, and yeah. and, and, and maybe not taking a loss. Uh, and then d- this is kind of the uh, well, it, I shouldn't say it, it's the bye week for Division Three. Yeah. All Division Three teams are off this week. And there, it's an even more of a, a distinct breakdown. The four, five, and O teams, four, three, and two teams. Those are your playoff teams right now. And th- you know, you got Newport and Monadnock at five and O on the north. K- Summersworth, Campbell, five and O on the south. Stevens, Kearsarge, uh, Epping, Newmarket, and Bishop Brady split north south, three and two. Franklin, two and three in the south, I, technically still in it. Interlakes, two and three in the north. They're still in it too, but you know both both with a long way to go. Um, but a lot of points scored last week in Division Three. Yeah, and a, a lot of a lot of people making noise about oh divisions, and you know I look at it and say what some of these schools that are putting up the points are the smaller school in some yeah. cases or smaller enrollment size based on you know co-ops and all that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that's the the issue. I think you get a couple teams that are that are loaded. Very this good. Year. Yeah, right. Yeah. Manadnock is loaded. Campbell is loaded. Yeah. Um, the Some Campbell score. Speaking of records in the state of New Hampshire, we were talking about the <laughs> the the turnovers. Yeah, yeah turnovers yeah. And, and and overcoming that. I mean, I I had to ask this 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 weekend after the Saturday night game has has a New Hampshire team ever put up that many points? No one seemed to know. No. Well, what's funny is you had earlier in the day or earlier in the weekend Epping putting up 72. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I know I've seen 72 before. Yeah, we've had a couple yeah. earlier this season. Um, 81. I've never seen an 80s before yeah. ever in New yeah. Hampshire, and and I've been ar- I've been around a while, but I've no, you know you don't lo- I don't look at every single score every right. single week every year, but I don't remember that. And I think from what I understood, it would be easy to look at. Campbell and say, oh, geez, they 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 took it to him. That you know, but from what I understood, though, there were a couple things that happened, like a pick six and some things that uh, you can't really control as a coaching staff to try to ease back on that scoring. Yeah, it sounded like um, it kind of happened. It, it, it just I know there were the there were a couple of onside kicks in the first half um, that they recovered and went down and scored on, but um, you know, most of that scoring came in the first half. You got to think, and that too, it's it's a. It's a big night for them. Yeah. It was their, you know, homecoming. They yeah. bring in the lights. Yeah, you want the kids to the play. Ki- yeah, yeah. So maybe they, I think they kind of kept the foot on the gas for a half just to get that in and then kind of backed off yeah. afterwards. Uh, and like I said, it sounded like a couple of those scores happened. Like, like you can't, I mean, there's nothing you could do to discourage a pick six, right? right? I mean, right. that's going to happen. He's so. supposed to take a knee <laughs> right. as he's yeah, running down no, the field. You know, yeah, you don't you, want, you, that's worse. No, you know, um, so... 
you know, uh, but the big one coming up, um, you know, of course, like we said, everybody has a buy coming up next week, uh, our, you know, on October 13th um, at Summersworth, Campbell at Summersworth, uh, two 5-0 teams. That'll, I mean, that should be for the top seed out of the South and one yeah. of the, the number one or number two seed overall. Absolutely. Uh, and then the week after that, Newport at Monadnock should determine the, that top seed on the other side. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, the conference winners at this year are the one and two seeds. Uh, and then the next six best teams, so it's like Division Two is. Right. Um, so it could be five from one, three from the other, but right now it's four and four. Yeah. Uh, not sure how that much will change, how much that will change over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, still some, uh, some marquee games to be played in D3. I'm really looking forward to um, – uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how the Campbell Summersworth game goes because Campbell hasn't really. They, it doesn't feel like they've been challenged they, yet. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at it, and they've played. They played two teams that we thought were, or excuse me, three teams that we thought were going to be in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, Interlakes right now is on the outside, but still a team that could get in. Yeah. Um, Epping and Bishop Brady, same two, but. I I thought they'd win them, but I didn't think they'd win them the way they did. Yeah. I mean, the team the, the team they. They played this weekend is not yeah, a bad yeah. team. They're a quality team. You're right. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, it will certainly be interesting. But, uh, Coach, I think that's all we've got yeah. for today or all the time we've got for today. Yep. Uh, thanks once again for uh, stopping in to join. No problem. Uh, this week, I uh, just want to give you guys an update on what games we'll be covering this weekend. Uh, I will be over at uh, Stello Stadium Friday night for the Pinkerton Nashua North game. You can read about that Saturday morning at uh, nh-highschoolsports.com. Uh, also, we'll have some coverage on some Saturday games, Bedford at Goffstown, like we said, it was Saturday afternoon, and then also Salem at Bishop Girton. Uh, you can read about all those and everything else we've got going on over the next, uh, well, the rest of the fall, really, at uh, nh-highschoolsports.com. For uh, Mike Lockman, uh, Joe Marcellina, uh thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week.